D.L. Moody, the great, <clears throat> the great evangelist, said that when he preaches at the end of every sermon, his goal is to have everybody in the audience respond in a way that would either be glad, sad, or mad. So talking about how to respond to a message or the Word of God, I reckon that's up to you. And so I sort of try to do the same thing in my own little way, uh, to make everybody feel glad, sad, or mad. You know, if there's no response, then maybe the Holy Spirit is not working. But where the Holy Spirit works, whether it's blessing, conviction, fortification, whatever, He's going to make everybody feel either glad, sad, or mad. So thank you for that. It's been so good to be here. I really enjoyed your wonderful singing here tonight again. I can honestly say that I've smelled the perfume of heaven. We have been drinking deeply from the fountain that flows forth from the throne of God here uh, this week. And I had to think of what uh, Pastor John wrote in Revelation chapter 7. You do not need to turn to this, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people, and tongues stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Do you like that? And they cried aloud with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and the altars, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on the faces, and worshipped God. Saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these? Who are these people which are arrayed with white robes? And where did they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's beautiful. And so I ask you the age-old question here tonight, have you washed your robes and have... You made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I would like to invite every warm body here tonight, everybody at the age of accountability, to seriously answer that question. You see, there are two groups of people here tonight, those who are saved, those who are lost. There's two groups of people here tonight, those are who are going to heaven, those are who are going to hell. It's simple, it's easy. The everlasting gospel is not hard to understand. It's not hard to preach. It's not difficult to communicate because it's likened unto that of a child. And so it's just easy to make a separation. Uh, there's no middle road. You know, Jesus told us, I told you Thursday or Friday night, if you have a good memory, and as I look over the audience, I believe. I'm speaking to a very intellectually uh, equipped people and you will know that Jesus said that there are two ways, there are two destinations, there are two masters. We cannot serve both at the same time. So every one of us here tonight, you've got to pick what you're going to choose, what you're going to believe. That's going to ultimately decide your final destination. Uh, God never sends anybody to hell. God does not send people to hell. But those of us, those people who sit among us, those people who are out in the world who do not choose to wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb, they choose by their own volition to go to hell. God, just, God sends nobody to hell. He doesn't force anybody to heaven. God is always, remember this, a perfect gentleman. God is always a perfect gentleman. Gentlemen, he, he forces nobody to do anything. And so he forces nobody into heaven. He forces nobody to hell. But if we want to go to hell, he will provide the vehicle, the means in order to get us where we decide we want to go. And so if we want to go to heaven, he provides the vehicle. He provides the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been preaching the glory and the beauty and the power of the everlasting gospel ever since Thursday night. It's moving. It's alive. It's quick. It's beautiful. It's so nice to preach. And so we take it or we leave it. And so if we accept the gospel, he provides the vehicle to get to heaven. 
And if we don't want to go to heaven, he's not going to force us. He just provides the vehicle for us to arrive at a final destination of our personal volition. So tonight, help yourself. All right, I would like to address a very, very beautiful subject tonight. I'm so glad to be here. I can hardly believe that, you know, those nights went so fast. And my, the loveliest and I would like to thank every one of you for your, your, your beautiful southern hospitality. Good food, good fellowship, beautiful people. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness. We've, I felt like we did not deserve. I mean, have I, I you know, have... Yeah, we just had such a good time. I don't know how to describe it. And there's a warm place in our hearts for you all too. God bless you. And for Nathan and Mildred opening up their home to us and many of you. And I'm so glad to have uh, uh, Mel and Verna here tonight. My brother-in-law, my sister. We love them so much. They're here tonight. They were at Nathan's for supper. I guess you had supper any one time. Knowing Mildred, you, you uh, fared very sumptuously. And so, yeah, God bless you. So, do you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to open up the Word of God, and we're going to do what we've always been doing, preaching the everlasting gospel. Get your Bibles, please, one time. Get your Bibles, and go with me to 1 Thessalonians. I need to get there myself, 1 Thessalonians. And what I would like to preach about is sanctification. In fact, go to Ephesians first. We should start at Ephesians, because we have been talking about uh, or preaching, rather, out of Ephesians chapter 2, right? Ephesians chapter 2, and we talked about different things. We talked about the horrific situation of mankind outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about being alive in Jesus Christ. We talked about amazing grace. Someone said, oh, the preacher didn't announce a sermon last night. Was it last night I preached about amazing grace? John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see amazing grace. So we talked about amazing grace, the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight I chose to, after trying to decide what not to preach about, to preach about sanctification. So I don't know. I don't know tonight. I, I, like I said, I think I'm, I'm speaking to a, a highly intellectual audience. You are intellectually charged. You have memorized Leviticus backwards when you were in grade school. And so you all should know tonight what the word sanctification means. So when you think of the word sanctified, sanctification, what does it mean? This thing of sanctification is very, very important to God because... It's, it's mentioned about 140 times, 140 times in the Bible. So, you know, when God has to repeat something over and over again, sort of like 140 times, it's very dear to his heart. Amen? All right, so he wants us to be a sanctified people. So if we're going to be sanctified, we've got to know what it means. So I'm going to read a few verses, and then maybe if I don't forget, I'm going to ask you, what the word means. What, what does it mean to you to be sanctified? Now, we're, we're going to Ephesians chapter 2. And I like to, maybe we need to break in at verse 8 in order to make it make sense. Here's what Paul is telling us. Here's what God is telling us. Now remember, never, never say, here's what God is trying to tell us. Did you get that? God never tries to do nothing. He always does exactly what he intends to do. And he's never surprised at the outcome because he knew what the product's going to look like when it's finished ever before he started. This is one of the beautiful characteristics of God. So here is what God is telling us tonight. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. Do you like to receive a gift? The greatest gift, the most beautiful, life-changing gift is that of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would anybody here tonight refute it? Please don't leave this audience tonight. Please don't leave this auditorium tonight without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and making your calling and election sure. All right? So we had this great gift of salvation, verse 9. Not a works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, let's read it together. And I know we have different versions, but we'll try and stumble through it. Here we go, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So now listen. If we go through the book of Ephesians, you will discover with me theologically quite often Paul uses the word walk. So let me ask you tonight, what is your walk? How is your walk? So now, when, when Paul uses the word walk, what he really means is lifestyle. How is your lifestyle? And it's usually in the sense of morality, also meaning our sexuality. The way we use our own personal sexuality. So how is that in your life? Are you a good, moral, pure person? Now listen, between a scale of 1 and 10, I would like for every warm body here tonight, choose what number, what degree of moral purity you are existing in. 10 is where we should be. Uh, 1 is where we don't want to be. So this, this includes the magazines that I read, the music that I listen to. There's a lot of sensual music out there. Eh? And so you have electronics sticking right there in your pocket. The things that we look at, the things that we think about. Uh, the things that, you know, if we think about something long enough, finally we can justify doing it, right? So people that look at, look at obscene pictures... Uh, they finally begin to justify what they're looking at. When we listen to obscene music, pornographic singing, you know, there's pornographic singing. So when we, when we, when we listen to that music, uh, we, we, we do what we call a vicarious experience, meaning we begin to react with what we heard. And so we, become, we, we get further and further away from the holiness and purity of God, and we can lose our sanctification in Christ Jesus. Okay, so all, the, all these things are happening tonight, right now, to many, many people. And if that's you tonight, there's a way back. There's hope. There is cleansing. There is refreshing in the blood and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here the Bible tells us that we are His workmanship. That is, God designed your body. God designed your timing. He knows all your gifts. He knows your DNA. Even when we were curiously wrought forth in the secret microscopic points of your mother's womb. God knew exactly what you're going to do. He knew if you're going to be male or female. He knew if you're going to be tall, skinny, I mean, whatever, round, whatever. You know, God, what color your hair is, the size of your nose, uh, your IQ, your interests, everything. God knew everything there's to know about you. He ordained, he preordained, he before ordained you to be exactly the way you are. Uh, now, we can choose, though, however, our degree of morality. We cannot change our personality. We cannot change our temperament. But we can change our character. We can change our morality. Morality, morality means what we believe about God, ourselves, and others. We can change that. So here Paul is telling us, God is telling us, that we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. Jesus how many times? 164. 164 times in Christ Jesus. Unto what? Good works. Good night. Just say it. Good works. Now, we know that good works before salvation are filthy rags. So you know that according to what we're saying here, we're not talking about pre-salvation good works. But after, after we are saved, we are to serve. Did you ever hear the saying, saved to serve? Saved to serve. That's salvation. That's, I mean, okay, that's salvation, yeah. But it's also, <laughs> it's also sanctification, saved to serve. So we are ordained of God in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk, that we should walk in them. We are to be a sanctified people. And so I want to ask you, is everything in your life, stay with me, stay with me, is everything in your life absolutely sanctified? Is everything that I do, everything that I think, all my attitudes, my goals, okay, my passions, Everything that I look at on a phone or a laptop, sanctified. That is, is it beneath the umbrella 
or in character of the person and power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it? Force yourself to come up with a number. Are you at a five? That's not good enough. Are you at a six? Not good enough. How many sins can a man sin that's going to take him to hell? How many sins, how many filthy sins can I be engaged with that's going to keep me out of heaven? Think it through. We cannot serve two masters. We can't put one foot here in morality, one in immorality, and think we can scrape, scrape by. There's, there's no middle of the road. We're saved. We're not saved. We're unsanctified. We're sanctified. I like to cut the pie real clean because it cu it's cut really clean. You see, there's no purgatory for these people who are lukewarm. There's no purgatory for church members who say, oh, yes, yes, but they live a life that says, no, no. There's no middle of the road. There's heaven, there's hell, there's in, there's out, there's black, there's white. I'm speaking about doctrinal issues. I'm talking about salvation issues and issues of morality. I'm not talking about your top button or the color of your shoe. I'm talking about things that are serious. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking about Christianity. I'm talking about if we, everybody here tonight, if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, or whether you don't, I don't care how you dress. I don't care what your last name is. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. He wants to know that you are saved. He wants to know that we love him. He wants us to be a saved, sanctified, holy priesthood. Okay, and he gives us everything we need in order to be godly. He gives us all things. You know, the plan of salvation is so complete from A to Z. He wants us to be sanctified, created unto good works, sanctification. Every part of us, right? Okay, go to Thessalonians, please. First. Chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to begin at verse 15. Are you there? Are you with me? See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but follow that which is good. This is all part of sanctification. Oh, we didn't decide what it means yet, did we? We'll get there. Verse 16. Rejoice evermore. 17. Read it with me. Pray without ceasing. Thank you. Verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19. Read it with me. Quench not the spirit. So to, unto him that knows to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. That's the opposite of sanctification. Having a knowledge, knowing what we should do, knowing what we shouldn't do, but in our belligerency, in our stubbornness, we take God on at his own game and say, God, really, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to assume the right to do what I want to do. That's what we do when we commit immorality, any type of immoral sin, fantasizing, two-timing, pornography, or whatever. You know, we know the truth. And in knowing the truth, we despise the truth. This God hates. Uh, maybe you never hear it so directly. So let, let's get a grip. Just let the Bible be the Bible. Just read it the way God says it. And I'll read you some verses how that God hates immorality. And he hates when we question him on moral issues. Despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Verse 22, read it with me. Abstain from all appearance of evil. What does that mean? I hear it. I'll, I'll tell you what it means. Here's what it means. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't think about it. Don't read it. Don't look at it. Don't meditate on it. Don't do it. That's what it means. Who didn't understand that? Very intellectual. Very beautiful group of people. I'm impressed. God bless you. Abstain. Now later on tonight, Lord willing, we're going to have to understand what the word abstain means. God meticulously, intelligently 
divinely chose that word. And conservative Anabaptists are not good at understanding that word. So you might not like me. That's okay. I didn't come to be liked. Uh, there's a reason. Okay, I'll explain that later. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now look at verse 23. Here's what I want. Let's go here. Verse 23. Look at it, please. And the very God of peace sanctify you. What's the next word? Holy. Holy. And I pray, God, your whole, number one, go ahead, spirit, and number two, soul, number three, and body be preserved, preserved what? Blameless. Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter two, we'll get there. To be perfect before God is to be blameless and holy in a perverted, a sexually perverted, decimated, filthy Society as we have in this great United States of America. To be blameless. To be pure. To be holy. When all this filth and pollution and trash is pressing in on us all around us. To be preserved blameless in the eyes of God. This is sanctification. Even unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ until the very last day. Either the day I die or the day of the rapture. If you're premillennialist, those of you who are all millennial, I guess we're just going to sort of go up like vapors. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I'm sort of premillennial. I think, you know, I'm going to have a bodily resurrection. You believe that too? Sure you do. Okay. So now I want to notice several very, very beautiful, important things. In verse 23, number one, the very God of peace. Listen, there's not a warm body in the world, in the United States of America, Mexico, China, wherever you go, that does not want peace. The world tonight is in a desperate search for what we call peace. They want peace. They want satisfaction. They want joy. And they go to extremes. It might be any type of sexuality, perversion, money, sports, fame, sex, in order to get what's going to bring immediate gratification to their bodies. They want peace, but they don't know where to find it. And they're not going to find it. you know why? Because they're not going to the right source. Listen, tonight, every warm body, there's only one source. There's only one true source of peace tonight, and that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other source. The source of joy, the source of peace, the source of freedom is only going to be found when we surrender everything we are to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called progressive, aggressive sanctification. Do you believe that? Then go after it. Get it. Do it. We want peace. So if you're here tonight and you don't have peace, there's an inner struggle going on in your heart. You don't have joy. You don't have the buoyancy of the Holy Spirit. You just desperately want peace. It's only in Jesus Christ through sanctification. And we are sanctified through the word. The Bible tells us we are sanctified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sanctified by giving our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ I'm preaching tonight. The very God of peace, sanctify you holy. And I pray God, you know, God made us a trichonomous being. Do you know what I mean by trichonomous? We believe in the triune Godhead, right? Oh boy, so we're going to run out. We'll run out of time. So, eh? it's got the Father, it's got the Son, and the God, the Holy Spirit. How many is that? Three. So, triune. Try is three. Eh? So we are a trichonomous being. That's not a, that's not a big word or I wouldn't know it because I'm not, you know, very, very learned. It's a very, very small word, meaning that we are also made of three because we're made in the image of God. So it, what you learned in school, if you went to public school, they taught you that we are body, soul, and spirit, right? But that's wrong. That's not the order in which God created us. He did not create us in that order, meaning that the most important part of that trichonomous being is our body. That's the least important to God. We are not body, soul, and spirit. You know, the Bible has it right. Of course, we're not astonished because there's nothing wrong in the Bible. We are spirit, soul, and body. 
So the most important part of your trichonomous being is your spirit. And it's in our spirit that we relate to God, where we commune with God, where we live, where we repent, where we confess. It's in our spirit. That's why the Bible says when we worship God, we are to worship him in spirit and truth. But emotions is in there. It's all in there. And we need to have emotions. We need a body. And so here he has the order correct. The very God of peace sanctify you holy. So how much, what percentage is holy? Come on. Everything. Everything. Does that include your eye? Your eyes, what you look at? Does it include our tongue? The way we talk? Does that need to be holy? Somebody said everything. That's right. Holy. So when God says something, he means it. eh? And so this is an option. You You don't have to do this in order to get to heaven. eh? This is an option. No, shake your heads, good night, no. This is not an option. This is the everlasting gospel. This is what we need to do. This is where we need to be. This is where God wants us. Stop playing church. Stop lollygagging in your Christian life. Hate lukewarmness. Come out of it. Get alive. Burn with the fire of God. Set yourself on fire. Sanctify you holy. And I will pray, God, that your whole spirit and that your whole soul, your emotions, and your whole body be preserved blameless. That's sanctification. Now let me explain it this way. So I I told you that theologically speaking, everything about God and everything about religiality is always in extreme. Did I tell you that here? No? Yes, okay. Some of you are with me. And so let me explain it this way. Here's what this verse is saying in addition to that. Uh, So we have two extremes. We have the secular and we have the sacred. So let me ask you, what does the word secular mean? And I ask you what sacred means over here. Help me out. Of the world. Of the world. Uh, outside of deity. So what does sacred mean? Holy. holy. That which comes from holy deity, like God. Cosmic. It's from God. It's, it's theological. It's Theo, meaning one God. It's the study of God. It's the person of God. It's the epitome of God. It's what God is. It's what God thinks. It's what God does. Whatever God does, it's always sacred. God never does anything outside of his own character. Did you ever think that through? Come on. Okay. So everything to the child of God is always sacred. There's nothing secular. Secular is outside of the characteristics of the very epitome of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So secular is when I do something that has no nature of God in it. That's secular. So what Paul is saying, what God is saying is, everything about your body, everything about your passions... Everything that goes through my mind, according to Philippians, is it three? These things that we're to think on. Everything that's pure, holy, just, lovely, of good report, of virtue. That means of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Liken unto, fashioned unto, the person and the glory and the beauty and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think on these things because the way a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we do what we think. We say what we think. Our tongue and my sexuality this, this, does not just suddenly fling out of control where I can't help it. My tongue just talks and the passions of my body just go operate outside of intellectual control. So when young people tell me across the world in like third world countries, hey, we, we fell into fornication, couldn't help it, we fell into fornication, I say, no, you did not fall into fornication, you planned to commit fornication. Because you didn't do it in the church, you didn't commit that sin 
out on the sidewalk. You thought it through. You planned a time. You planned a location. It was in secret. You belligerently planned to commit that sin. Now that's true about me. It's true about you. We do not fall into sin. A man and an Anabaptist man that sits and heats the pews of our churches every Sunday morning does not go from being a holy, righteous person into blatant, demonic pornography in one big step. There is a process of decay that takes place in his life where he justifies that slippery slope day after day until he is entwined in the devil's trap. Like it or lump it, it's true. Believe me. Everything to the Christian is sacred. Nothing is secular. Outside of, that is, the holiness of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the beauty and protection of the umbrella of the Holy Spirit. As soon as I step out of this canopy of the Holy Spirit and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, when I step out of here, I open myself up to the attack of the enemy. But as long as I stay in beneath, in Christ Jesus, when I keep my life, my thoughts, my eyes, my relationships, everything I do, under the sanctity and the holiness of the triune Godhead, the devil cannot touch us. He can growl, he can bark, he can raise temptation, he can threaten, let him scream. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is out there in the world. There is victory in Jesus Christ. Do you get the picture? This is the everlasting gospel. This is the power and the glory and the beauty of the everlasting gospel, folks. I'm not preaching religiality. I'm not even preaching churchiality. I'm preaching the doctrine of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. We put a lot of time in church structure. We put a lot of time in our disciplines. I'm not saying that's all bad. That's not enough. We've got to get in Jesus Christ. We've got to put him on. We've got to live in him. We've got to breathe, eat, drink. The person in the glory and the power of the word of God. And the power of God. And the son of God. For the glory of God. We've got to get serious about Christianity. Oh, I hear preachers say, we got to maintain the structure of the church or we're going to apostatize. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. Unless you want to define what they mean by maintaining the muscle of the church. Maybe you want to define what that means. If that means preaching... In requiring our people to love Jesus, they're right. No, Josh, you'll never have me back. People, we need Jesus. We need to be in a love relationship with Jesus. We need to be a holy, sanctified people. We need to hide the word and the glory and the power of Jesus in our hearts. It's that is what makes us Christian and makes us tick and gives us power to say no. We are a sanctified people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a special people under our God. And we don't have the intestinal fortitude or the audacity to walk outside of this umbrella and say, hey, I'm going to take a little bit of vacation over here in the secular. That's what we do. When we do that, we begin to love the things of this world. It might be fame. might be your money. might be your job. We love these things that we're supposed to hate. Does that make sense? And then we struggle. And we fight. And the church splits over things God doesn't care about. The devil cares about them. Yeah, you'll never have me back. That's okay. Hey, we've got to get real. And if you people are real, I think you are, 
Stay real. Stay real. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, please, would you? <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about being sanctified. And that means the process of growth. When we become every day a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Do you have a burning desire in your heart to resemble Jesus Christ? You know, men, when we go to work, uh, we should confuse the people. We should, we should confuse the general religiality. Because they know that Jesus was here and he, he ascended because their grandma was a Baptist or a Lutheran. And they, they know all about this. And we should be confusing to the people in that when they see us, they say, Well, look, I, I watched Brother Nathan over there in the big shop. And it's like Jesus Christ is what grandma on her rocking chair told me about this thing of Jesus Christ. And is he the Christ? I thought he ascended. Here's Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, he must have come back again. Yes, he did come back. He's personified in your life. He's personified in the way you drive your car. He's personified in everything you do because nothing to the saint is secular. Jesus got to come in. And when he's in, it's Jesus that's going to come out. We sweat Jesus. We radiate Jesus. Out of our bellies comes a river of flowing pressure, a water. The water of life out of our bellies, out of our life, flows streams of Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9, are you there? Eh? Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Question mark. Let me, ask, let me say that again. So if you're here tonight and there's sin in your life, you're looking at nudity, you are reading Harlequin romance books, your thoughts, your eyes are secular. You're not going to. Inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, neither idolaters. That's sexual idolatry. That is when I put the passions of my sexuality ahead of my sanctity with God the Father. This is sexual idolatry, not adultery. It's idolatry when I idolize my sexual passions and I tell God in his face, I have the right to enjoy a little bit of sleaze. Now you would never say that to God, but that's what we do when we fantasize. When we have impure thoughts and we entertain them, it's what we do. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, 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 nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Is that clear? It's very, very clear. Now look at 14. Make that 11, 11, 11. Verse 11. But such were some of you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But such were. That insinuates what? Past tense. Wicked folks, we can be delivered. Maybe there's a man. Maybe there's a young lady. Maybe there's a grandpa here that's in the bondage of sexual immorality and debauchery. The blood of Jesus Christ can save us, can redeem us, can unshackle us. If you're here tonight and there's sin in your life, there's hope. You do not have to leave here despaired and despondent and 
beat down and in the devil's prison. There is hope tonight. This is the power. This is the beauty of the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope. But such were some of you. But you are now washed. And you are what? Sanctified. You are set apart. You've been drawn out of the bondage. Out of the Mary clay. Out of Egypt. You're saved from this filth of verses 9 and 10. We're not in there anymore. I don't go there anymore. The Bill Gaither. What's the old man that sang the big bass part? I don't go there anymore. Do you know that song? Oh, not George Beverly Shea. Uh, George Yance. Yance or Yancey. Old George Yance. I don't go there anymore. Can you hear him sing it? He's been there. I've been there. Some of you have been there. We don't go there anymore. We're saved. We're washed. We're a sanctified people. We're holy. We're a priesthood. We are now the sons and daughters of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Now, I didn't lose my mind. I know I referenced that the other night. Couldn't help but say it again. Not going there anymore. So the next time the devil comes to tempt you, you say, devil, don't you know who I am? I'm a son of God. Get you behind me. Don't you know who my daddy is? Don't you know who my brother is? I'm blood washed. I'm bought back. I'm sanctified. Get out of here. Beat it. Don't forget who you are. We're the children of God. Don't take the back seat. Don't crawl into the book rack of your Christian life. Get up, stand up, move out. We are the sons and the daughters of God. Act like one. So I got to quit. Hmm. <clears throat> Just got to quit. Okay, real quick. Go to First Thessalonians. Four. First Thessalonians four. He's talking about sexual purity. He's talking about sexual purity. And he says in verse 1 that we received of him how we ought to walk and how we should please God so that we would abound more and more. God wants us to abound. Amen. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. This is good. Grow. Abound. This is what I mean. We want to please God, don't we? So we, we want to become more like Jesus. We, we want to become more confusing to the people around us who thought Jesus is up and out of here. No, he's not up and out of here. He's well and alive. This is, this is his will. Now look, verse 2. For you, know that you're, for you know what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3. This is the will of God. This is your... What's the next word? That you should... What's the next word? Abstain from fornication, that every man would know how to possess his sexual passions in vessels of sanctification, in honor, in purity, not in the lust of concupiscence and fantasizing and romancing and pornography and evil thinking and ugly, evil talking and jesting and all these things. Because, <coughs> okay, so what we need to do is we need to abstain. We need to abstain. Now, what does the word abstain mean? Let me ask you a question. So, I like to drive too fast. You can't imagine that about me, can you? <laughs> I like to drive too fast. I mean, 90 feels much better than 70. I'm a little crazy. Yeah, go ahead and say it. I'm a little crazy. So, I'm driving down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and there's no cops around. And my wife certainly is not along. And my deacon is back home. And my bishop, they're back home at work, thank goodness. And I feel like going 90. 
And I could because it's just before those first tunnels there at Pennsylvania Turnpike. There's 12 miles of straight flat, and I can see way down there's no cops. And I want to go 90, but I don't. There is no peripheral power around me to keep me from going 90 or 120. I never drove 120. But I don't go 90 because there's something in here saying, uh, don't drive 90. Because it's against the law and you're a Christian. You're a son of God. So I'm not going to go 90. It doesn't matter if my wife is not along. I'm going to abstain. I will voluntarily, by my volition, refrain. I will say no. Even though there would be no cop catching me, like they catch you. Uh, there's no... there's. There's no authoritative structure around me. I mean, I could do it and get by, but I say no, like Joseph did, because Joseph said, how can I commit this horrible sin against my father, which is in heaven? His daddy was gone. I mean, Potiphar was out doing his business in the palace. He could have committed fornication. Joseph said no. He abstained. He could have, but he didn't. This is abstinence. It's not abstinence. God gets no pleasure when I, can, when I don't do something because I can't, because I'm going to get found out. I desire to do it. I would be sneaky enough to get it done. I could look at that pornography. Nobody would know it. Uh, and I would do it if I couldn't get found out. God gets no pleasure out of forced, structural, peripheral locking. So, I don't care what kind of a tight church structure you think you have. You can't write enough of rules in your discipline book about pornography and young people falling into fornication and all the other secular things people can do. You can have, you can have a church discipline this thick and a strong church structure and a it, it's powerless to save one person. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we, are, when we get our young people in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that they say, no, I will abstain. I could do this thing and nobody would know it. But I'm not going to do it because I'm in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's abstinence. This is sanctification. When I choose to be set apart for the glory of God by His power because I love Him. This is about loving Jesus. If we spend as much time convincing our people that they've got to love Jesus as we do fortifying our church structure because, oh, we are mid-Atlantic, we're among the most righteous. And we're all concerned about our big church structure. If we spend a little more time in getting and persuading our people to have a dynamic, burning love relationship with Jesus Christ, we'd be further ahead. Now, you'll never have me back. That's okay. To abstain from evil is sanctification. It's the will of God. It's the everlasting gospel. You can dress ever so nicely. You can have the nicest church standard and do every rule just right and end up in hell. Did you get that straight? I'm not saying I'm against some nice church standards. I, I, think, we need, I think we need a good, common, balanced... We need some guidelines. I'm not against that. I'm just saying when we put our confidence in that and we think that's going to safe keep the inner beings of our young people, forget it. Young people, there's only one thing that's going to keep you from pornography. Because you don't have to go into the store and buy a magazine like they did years ago, which I never did. I've never given myself over to pornography, never bought any. But you know, in my day, people that did those things... They had a risk to run. You get caught anymore. <laughs> There's only one thing that's going to save you from the devil's clutch 
And that is when you have a burning desire to please God and to love Jesus Christ. Only that's going to save you. Nothing else. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. May I preach Jesus tonight and him crucified and him alive in your hearts and a love relationship. Only this is going to save our Anabaptist circles. There's no other hope. It's called personal conviction. It's called sanctified living. This is where we got to get our churches. That was, I preached a second sermon, sorry. Don't, don't ask me again to explain anymore because it's quarter. <laughs> don't, don't ask again. Should we stand? Should we pray the Lord's Prayer together? Yeah. <clears throat> Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.